Well, it is good to be here with you all. Thank you so much for, for joining with us. Uh, many of you know that my wife and I, we actually lived in the States for a little bit uh, of time. I was doing some of my seminary training down in, in Louisville, Kentucky. And so we lived there for just over a year, and it was a very interesting experience. We got to really see some of the, some of the similarities that exist between Americans and, and Canadians and, and some of the big differences. And, and one, of the, one of the moments that, that sticks out in my mind uh, in particular uh, was with our, our neighbors. We had become really good friends with our neighbors just down the hall uh, in our apartment complex. And so one day, uh, actually on Canada Day, we decided we'd play a little bit of a Canadian prank on them. We, we took a Canadian sticker, a sticker of the Canadian flag, and we put it on their door, just above the doorknob, just so that every time they entered into their house, they would have to think about Canada just a little bit. And we thought that was kind of funny uh, and didn't really think too much more of it. That is, until three days later. Three days later, July the 4th is the American Independence Day, and we opened our door to find that our friends had responded in kind. They had put on our door an incredible display of Americana. They had decorated everything. Around the door was red, white, and blue streamers. They had bought balloons with the American flag, and they put them on either side of our doorway. On our actual door, they had stuck probably around like 20 or 30 American flags and big stars and stripes and, and everything all over. And right in the center, they had bought a, a T-shirt that they had taped onto our door that was a wolf howling at the American flag as it gracefully flapped by. It was, it was a sight to behold. And as I was just looking at what they had done and laughing, um, I was just struck by how very different and, and, and how beautifully this typified the differences between Canadians and Americans. We, we had stuck a, a, a sticker on their door about the size of your thumb onto, you know, just a small section, and they had responded with this huge, bold, you know, display that would make, you know, Captain America blush. And so as we were looking at this, you know, that's just part of American culture. For, for good and bad, they, they just do things that are big and bold, right? And, and in many ways, we as Canadians, we, we kind of want to be the opposite, right? We kind of wanted to define ourselves as not being American. So, so they might be big and bold, but we're reserved and we're kind, right? Canadians are, are nice and polite. And, and look, I, I, I love so much about the Canadian mentality that's, that's behind that. And I'm grateful God called us back here to Canada. But there are some places where, especially as Christians, we're actually going to find ourselves in a little bit of trouble if we keep thinking along those lines, right? Because at some point, the, the Bible actually calls us as Christians to be sharing our faith. And as Canadians, that, that can often make us kind of nervous, a little bit uncomfortable because to share our faith means we have to talk about things like, like sin, we have to talk about how the fact that, that, that everyone is a sinner. We've all fallen short of, of what God expects of us. And in fact, there is no salvation except in Jesus. It's hard to say those things and still sound like a nice, accepting, polite Canadian. And so, I mean, the Bible kind of rebukes Canadians as well. 
But to share the gospel means you eventually have to take a stand on something. You have to to stand up and say, this is what I believe the truth is. And that can be an uncomfortable place for us. And so the question I want us to, to work through today is how do we do that well, right? Because the answer isn't that we need to become, you know, more American, That isn't the answer. I I want us to learn how do we take a stand for the gospel? How do we take a stand as a follower of Jesus? What does that look like? So if you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open to Acts chapter 6. We're going to be concluding Acts chapter 6, and actually this is the the last part in our series on Acts. We'll be back into this book uh, later on, but for now we're finishing sort of part one of Acts, and we're ending a little bit on a cliffhanger, aren't we? Right? We're ending a little bit with just sort of getting started with what happens to Stephen, this sort of initial trial that happens before, well, before he's put to death. Right? The beautiful thing about the Bible is that you can actually just keep on reading. You don't have to stop right here. You can keep reading and see what happens to Stephen and what happens to the rest of the church. But one of the, the uh, beautiful things about this is that this story really sums up so much of what we've already seen in the book of Acts. We've seen the church begin to grow and start proclaiming Jesus as, as Jesus himself called them to do. And they're growing, and they're, they're having people join them, and at the same time, there's this opposition that has been growing to the church. And, and both of these have been ramping up. It started with just, you know, warnings and threats, and it escalated to, to trials, imprisonments, and beatings. And now, actually, it's going to go all the way until we find the first Christian martyr, this man, Stephen. And one of the things I love about Stephen is that he is really just an ordinary guy, right? We met him last week uh, as we started chapter 6, and he is appointed to be one of the deacons, but he's still pretty new at this role. He's not an apostle. He's just, in many ways, an ordinary church member. And, And what I want us to see is how this man, Stephen, takes a stand as a follower of Jesus. What does that look like? How does he do that? So three things I want us to see here. We want, I want us to see how Stephen was walking with the Spirit, how he relied on the Holy Spirit, and finally, that he was ultimately standing before God. So let's walk through our text. Let's unpack that and, and see what, uh, what it looks like to take a stand as a follower of Jesus. Let, let's start here in verse, uh, verse 8. And we're introduced to where Stephen's courage is coming from. It's that he is walking with the Spirit. Look at verse 8 with me. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Right? As I said, we met Stephen last week. He was uh, appointed to be one of the first deacons of the church in Jerusalem. And as Pastor Matt walked us through that, that passage last week, uh, he pointed out deacons are the ones, they, they preach the gospel through practical deeds, right? They, they are taking care of the, the widows and the orphans, as we're called to do, right? And so Stephen's job was to make sure that people were being taken care of in the church. But what's so interesting here is that the first thing we see him doing is preaching. He's proclaiming the gospel as he is going, 
And, and so maybe we just need to, to start out by saying, if you are a deacon, it doesn't mean you can't open your mouth and speak. In fact, you should. That's what Stephen is doing. But what we are introduced to, uh, or what we are told about Stephen, this man, is that he is full of faith. Verse 5 says he is a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. This is how he was known to the early church, that he was one who was filled with the Holy Spirit. We see it repeated again, verse 8. He was full of grace and power. Right here, this is probably kind of a reference back to, to how Jesus commissioned his disciples. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, but when the Holy, or, sorry, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Right? This is Stephen. He is the one who is doing exactly that, full of the Holy Spirit. And so here is really our, our basis for how we should understand spiritual courage and boldness. It is walking with the Holy Spirit. Or you might be saying, or you might say, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And here I, I've purposely said spiritual courage, spiritual boldness. Because we need to start off and understand this is not a, a personality trait that's being talked about in this passage. This isn't just people who are, who are naturally outgoing, right? We've probably all met those people. They're, they're just naturally, they're around people, they love it, they want to go talk to everyone, they want to get involved in everything that's happening and going on, right? There, there's people who are even, you know, they want to get involved in, in the conflict that's happening. They, they want to talk and they want to get in there and wrestle through all of these things, right? If, if that's you, that's great. It's not a bad thing. But what I want us to realize is there's a difference between a natural inclination and, and spiritual boldness, spiritual courage. See, I think we tend to view the apostles and, and men like Stephen as just, you know, they're just naturally outgoing. They're just naturally charismatic, but, but that's not what our text says. Luke, as he writes this account, goes out of his way again and again, verse 5, verse 8, verse 10, to repeat back to us the fact that this was because Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? That's the basis of his courage. And so for us, if we want to learn how do we stand as Christians, how do we witness to uh, how do we witness to our brothers and sisters around us? It means we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means we actually need to know Jesus. We actually need to trust in him, confess our sins, receive forgiveness, and Jesus is the one who gives us the Holy Spirit. It's ultimately not something we ourselves can, can do is to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but it's something that Jesus blesses and gives to all his disciples. And I said, this is the foundation. This is our starting point that we have to get right if we're going to understand this. It's because I think if we miss this point, we are liable to get ourselves distracted in all kinds of other ways. We're liable to get distracted by talking about politics, talking about science, talking about school policies, and all of these other things that we are not called to take a stand for instead of standing for the gospel to tell others about Jesus Christ. And so what we need to do is be walking with the Spirit. Paul will write Galatians chapter 5. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Little 
a bit further down. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Paul says, this is how I want you to be known. I want you to be known as a church who is focused and following along with the Holy Spirit wherever he is leading. A few years ago, I, I was, um, my wife and I, we were babysitting for some friends. They needed to go out for just, you know, two hours, run some errands, and so we volunteered that we would take care of their little, little two-year-old son. And so as they left, they said, oh yeah, there's, there's a park you can take him to. It's just a block and a half down the way. Take him to the park, and by the time you guys make it back, we'll be here. Now, my first reaction, my first thought was, two hours at the park? Like, oh, are, is he really going to play that long? Now, if your parents here, you probably already know the answer. No, we, we spent about half an hour at the park. We spent about an hour and a half walking that block and a half to the park. I had no idea there were so many distractions that could happen along the way. There's a cat, there's a dog, there's a car, there's a plane, there's a leaf, there's ants, and he wanted to go that way, that way, that way, that way, every way, except the way we were trying to go. It took us forever. Every step was seemed to take just ages to go along. And I wonder how often, I wonder how often the Holy Spirit feels like that with us. Feels as though all we are doing is, is running around to all of these other distractions, getting ourselves entangled in things that don't ultimately matter when what we are called to do is to be walking alongside where the Holy Spirit is going. Do we spend our time reading our Bible, praying? staying close with God, confessing our sins, asking for forgiveness regularly? Do we have people to hold us accountable? Right? Paul says this is how we are to walk with the Holy Spirit. This is how we are to be known. And you might be saying, well, how do I, how do I actually even know if I'm growing in this? Again, Paul gives us the answer, and I, I bet many of you have probably even memorized the answer. Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if you want to know, am I following along with the Spirit? Am I walking with the Spirit? Let me ask you, do these traits define your life? Is your life defined by a love for God and a love for others? Are you a joyful person? Are you at peace or are you anxious most of the time? Do the people I witness to see these things in my life? Do the people I share Jesus with, would they define me as a a kind, gentle, and self-controlled person or am I rude, obnoxious, and loud? See, we want to be sharing our faith as a Christian, that means we are walking with the Spirit, that the fruits of the Spirit are evident in our lives, even to those we are sharing our faith with. See, that's what Stephen was doing. See, the next time I think you're about to comment online, you're about to snap back to someone who who said something at work, I want to invite you, just pause for a second and think, is what I am about to say, will that put on display the fruits of the Spirit? Or am I actually about to grieve the Holy Spirit? Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, 
He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, you standing for the gospel, if that is a rude or insulting statement, you have not honored Jesus, but grieved the Holy Spirit. So much of the time, when people disagree today, the default is, is to go towards insults or put-downs or, or somehow making the other person look foolish. Brothers and sisters, let us stand as Christians. Our goal is not to insult or, or seem superior than the other. Our goal is to be walking with the Holy Spirit so that others might see that. Be courageous as a Christian. Do not sin as you try and share the gospel. Stephen's preaching was so impactful, not because he was a naturally bold or outgoing person. It was because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and even his opponents could see that clearly. So is this you? Is your life defined by walking with the Holy Spirit? Or is there some area that's holding you back? Some sin that is standing in the way that every time you want to talk about Jesus instantly comes to mind this sin problem that has been you know, infesting your life. Let me invite you, go to God, confess your sins, ask for forgiveness, and Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us. None of us are going to be perfect. None of us are without sin. But there is grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Go to him. Let nothing hold you back from being able to walk with the Holy Spirit and share the gospel of Jesus. If we want to learn to share our faith, want to learn to stand as Christians, let us walk with the Holy Spirit because without him, we can do nothing. And really, that's the second point we see in our text. If we're going to learn to stand as Christians, we need to be walking with the Spirit. And secondly, we need to be relying on the Holy Spirit. Look back at our text. Verse 9, Stephen's opponents are now showing up. It says, Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. So, Stephen is now preaching and serving uh, the gospel. There's this group of people who are getting upset with him, right? It's this group from, from all over the, the Roman Empire. And you might say, okay, I mean, why does Luke include that? Does that really matter? Well, it's because, do you remember what Stephen was charged to do? He was a deacon in the church, and his job was to take care of the Hellenists, right? Specifically the widows and those in need in the church. Hellenists were, were Greek-speaking Jewish people who had been born all over the Roman Empire. And so Stephen has been serving in this community, and he begins to preach and proclaim the gospel to this community, and now he's getting pushback from the very people he is trying to help. Verse 9 says, they disputed with him. This was probably a, a, uh, a, a formal public debate. They wanted to kind of put him to shame publicly so that everyone would see how foolish he was. And, and maybe they thought, well, he's not one of the apostles, so, so maybe, maybe this will actually go all right. 
But of course, verse 10 comes and says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. See, Stephen shocked all of them. He was this ordinary Joe who was, you know, publicly outwitting these scholars and scribes in the public arena. And yet, isn't that exactly what Jesus promises would happen? Right? Jesus is talking to his disciples, Luke chapter 21, about what would happen in the end times. And this is what he says. He says, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Right? This is the promise Jesus has for his disciples. It's a promise, first of all, that as they preach, they are going to face op- opposition. That when they face that opposition, that will actually be an opportunity to share the gospel. And that when they are doing so, that in fact Jesus will send the Holy Spirit and will give us words to speak. Right? That's the promise Jesus has for us. And in fact, this is exactly what Stephen does. The whole next chapter is all about what he says after this point. But what Luke is pointing out to us here is that the reason Stephen could do this is because he was relying on the Holy Spirit. It was the work of the Spirit that was evident to them, right? They could not withstand the wisdom and the Spirit. It was clear even to them that Stephen was speaking with the Spirit on his side. And so to rely on the Spirit as we share our faith means, I think, two things. It means, first of all, that we are trusting that God will help us and actually give us words to speak. But secondly, it is that God will be the one who works in others' hearts. Right? God gives us the words. That's the promise Jesus makes to his disciples. He will give us a, a mouth, words to speak as we are called to share our faith. And now, I'm, I'm sure you've heard other pastors say things like this, that, you know what, after the service, after giving a sermon, it's always surprising to me what, what people have found impactful. Sometimes it's things I didn't even, you know, mean to say beforehand. Sometimes it's things I didn't even think were important, and yet the Holy Spirit used them to make an impact where I didn't realize it, right? In fact, it's the same thing as we share our faith. can't tell you how many times I've, I've gone into a situation where I've, you know, not even anticipated what someone would ask me, and yet the Holy Spirit has helped me to give an answer, and I've talked to so many of you, and it's, it's one of the most exciting things. When someone comes and says, you know, I was sharing my faith, and, and, and they asked me this question, and I didn't know what to say, and so, and so this is what I said. And I get to rejoice with you as we see the Holy Spirit working and giving you answers. To be able to continue to share and proclaim the gospel of Jesus, it is such a joy to be able to do that. Right? The Holy Spirit is faithful to this. He will be with us. Now, hear me, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't ever prepare. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't ever kind of work 
uh, beforehand prepare ourselves to be sharing uh, our faith, right? You might even think that hearing what Jesus said in Luke 21, right? Don't meditate beforehand how to answer. And you might think, well, okay, I mean, to, to, to rely on the Spirit means don't think. Say whatever just comes to mind, right? Uh, the, the more spiritual you are, the more you just wing it, <laughs> right? I hear this a lot in the realm of preaching. You know, just let go and let God. If you want a good spirit-filled sermon, you shouldn't even prepare. Just get up there and rip it. it, it it's a great way to sometimes make laziness sound spiritual. Jesus spent three years with his disciples, training them, teaching them every single day. The Bible commands us to know the word of God, to memorize it, to meditate on it, to apply it into our lives. We are called to rightly handle the word of God. We are called to be prepared to give a defense for the hope that we have in us. We are called to be ready to witness and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we go. We are called to know and study the gospel. Right? This doesn't mean we shouldn't, you know, prepare or that we shouldn't ever, you know, read something like apologetics. No, Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, you don't need to have a speech prepared. Right? Jesus here is referencing the, the orators of the day who would, who would go from town to town and they would have this beautifully crafted monologue that they would give and then just kind of move on. Jesus is saying, look, you don't actually need that. What you need with you is the Holy Spirit to be at work. You need the Holy Spirit to empower you to be able to speak. That is where your power comes from, not from your ability to beautifully craft something together. So for us, it, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't prepare or think about how can I share my faith, right? What it means is, though, in those moments, we rely on the Holy Spirit to help us through. And oftentimes, hear me, that comes through faithful, faith-filled preparation for those times. Ultimately, we rely on the Spirit to give us those words, and we rely on the Spirit to change people's hearts. See, it will never be our words that get through to someone. It will always be the work of the Holy Spirit to transform lives and hearts to hear the gospel. We rely not only on the Holy Spirit for what we're gonna say, we rely on the Holy Spirit for what he is going to do in the lives of others. Spiritual courage is not about how much I am able to accomplish. It is about relying and trusting that he is able to accomplish far more. It's stepping out on a limb and trusting that the Holy Spirit will be with us and he will guide us and he will bring us through. So do you trust him? Do you trust that the Holy Spirit will be with you? Are you willing to share your faith? I think this is a tough one for a lot of us. It requires us to take a step where, where we might not be comfortable. And yet we do so. Spiritual courage is found not in what we are able to accomplish, but our, in our trust that the Holy Spirit will be with us and guide us. Right? Prepare and know the Word of God know the gospel, and then trust that the Holy Spirit will be with you, and he will be the one that transforms lives. This is what spiritual boldness looks like. 
This is what it looks like to take a stand as a Christian. It's not about what I can do. It's about what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And I trust he will be at work. See, this is what Stephen did. He trusted that the Holy Spirit would be with him. And here's perhaps where where we might even be surprised at what happens next. Actually, the people reject him, don't they? The people listen to what Stephen is saying, and they reject him. See, what I have described here isn't the recipe for, for having a big following, This isn't the recipe for for what it looks like to make a thousand converts. This is what faithfulness in standing as a Christian looks like. Let's look back at verse 11, because we're going to realize something here, and that is that Stephen understands ultimately he is standing before God. Verse 11, after failing to debate Stephen... It says, then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Right, after the direct approach of opposing Stephen fails, they go kind of back to the tried and true method, which is lying, right? It's the same tactic they used against Jesus. They couldn't find an actual charge to bring against him, so they set up all of these false witnesses. And of course, all of these false witnesses have an element of truth, right? Jesus did say he would destroy the temple. They just left out the part where Jesus was actually talking about himself, Right? Jesus does, in a way, change the law of Moses, but he does so by completing and fulfilling it. And he did reject the traditions that they had added onto the law. Right? It's half-truths, and Stephen, he's going to defend himself. All of chapter 7, we'll look at that in another time. But I want us to see here verse 15. It says, and gazing at him. All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So here's the last point I want us to see. The last part of what it means to stand as a Christian. It's that when we speak, when we share the gospel, when we take that stand, we are standing before God. Right? They dragged Stephen out at this point. Tensions are high. Emotions are heating up. This is now turning into a mob jury. And we look at Stephen, and what is he doing? He's not anxious. He's not sweating. He's not trying to defend himself from every single word that they're saying. No, they look at him, and it looks as though he is sitting before God himself. Right? Luke says his face is like an angel. It's a reference back to, to Moses. Right? When Moses would, would sit in the presence of God, he would come out and his face would be shining with the glory of God. And this is exactly what Stephen is doing. Stephen isn't panicking because he would, knew he was going to give his testimony ultimately not before men, but before God. God is the one he was going to uh, work to impress. There was an audience of one for his message, and it was God himself. See, our goal is not that we would be accepted by people. It's 
not that people would like us or be impressed. All those things are nice. Our goal is to be honoring and glorifying to God. He is the one that we stand before. He is the one who has sent Jesus. He is the one who has saved us. He is the one who has given us the Holy Spirit and commissioned us to go and preach and proclaim His name. It is about the glory of God as we stand. See, our goal is not to control or manipulate people. I said, look, if we want to just make converts, there's all kinds of other ways we could do that. You can manipulate, you can control, you can bribe people, you can threaten people. The goal is not that we would have a huge following. The goal is that we would be faithful to God and we would stand before Him. He is the one we are giving our testimony before. So church, don't lose sight of that. As we go out and as we share our faith, our goal isn't to be liked It's not to be hated either. Our goal is to be glorifying God in all that we say. Peter puts it this way in the book of 1 Peter. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify, glorify God on the day of visitation. I don't know if Peter had Stephen in mind when he wrote these words, but he certainly could have because that's exactly what Stephen is doing. They they couldn't find a charge to bring against him, so they had to make it up. And even as they stood accusing him of all kinds of things, all they could see was the glory of God reflected in his face. Oh, church, would that be our legacy as well? that as we stand, as we live honorable lives before all, as we walk with the Spirit, as we rely on Him, that the glory of God is what we reflect to all around us. That is our goal. So let us be a people who stand courageously for the gospel. Not not brazen, bold, or brash. Not not cowering in fear in our faith, but confident that the work of the Holy Spirit is among us, both in our lives to lead us and guide us, to give us words, to speak, but also in the hearts and lives of others. Let us be bold to stand and proclaim the good news of salvation in Jesus because it is good news. Let us not be ashamed of the salvation that Jesus has brought, but joyfully laying down our lives that others might know Jesus. Let us walk with the Spirit. Let us rely on Him and let us boldly speak so that God might be glorified. Brothers and sisters, our goal is not to be Canadians, not Americans, but followers of Jesus who share the gospel. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful. Lord, we are so thankful for the salvation that is found in Jesus. Lord, that our sins might be forgiven because of what Jesus has done. Father, let us not be distracted from 
pursuing after you, from walking with the Holy Spirit. Lord, give us, give us a, a joy to follow along, to walk with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I, I pray, enliven, grow more fruit in our lives that it might be evident to all around us. Lord, I pray, give us courage to speak your name. Lord, I pray, give us your Holy Spirit to be with us as we do so. Transform lives, transform hearts, we pray. And Father, might you be glorified in all that we do, in all that we say. Might it magnify and be a praise to your name. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.